if we are thinking and having discussions in and about this profession and the work that we do in the case law that's applicable, we're going to only be better, man. And you're going to be better interdictors. And that's, and, and we are crime interdictors, right? It's not drug interdiction or it, it's all, it's interdicting crime and criminals. What we're supposed um, to be doing. And you have to be a master of your craft. Hey guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference, click the link, register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. I just saw a video of a chief in Florida. I forgot what county it is. Just today. I don't know if it's an old video or a new video. And this dude is such a piece of shit that he will not back his officer. He stops a guy, dude bails out of a car. The guy goes like, cuff him. He has to punch him twice. Guy's got a gun in his pocket. And the chief's like, well, I mean, I'm not taking sides here. Like, what? <laughs> what an awful human being. And I feel like making a post on social media, like, if you work for this guy, run for the hills. No you work for somebody who works for somebody like this, run for the hills. Because it's a clear cut adequate appropriate use of force nobody was killed nobody shot and this chief is such a piece of shit that he will not back his police officer because he's scared self-interested dude i know what do you think about something like that so dude it it bugs the shit out of me because it is self-interest and i get it dude there there is always a level of self-preservation in each of us right and and if you're in this for a career there's that piece um but honestly, and I've done it a couple of times and it costs you. And I just taught a class on Monday where we were talking about this. And I was talking to a group of of just diverse cops from all over, right? City, county, reservations. And uh, I, I told them, like, if you're going to do the right thing in this career, it's going to cost you sometimes and it's going to suck, man. Um, and I think the chiefs forget that. And they think that they're, I, you know, self-preservation. I've got to do what I've got to do to keep my job. And honestly, if you've got to do that, Dude, why would you want that fucking job? You know, why would you want to work for that city council or that mayor? Go somewhere where they actually appreciate what we do and and they understand that uh, this work is not fucking pretty. <laughs> it's just not right. Um, really frightening. I was actually on the fence on whether or not I was going to address it publicly, just because the only reason that I would be on the fence with it just a hair is because. I don't have the entire story. Right. And I would hate to jump out there, cast an opinion and a thought. The chief is clearly a, like, a, like a, a joke. There's no question about that. There's no right. question about the chief's an absolute joke. But I also don't have the whole side of the story. Like, I don't know everything that's going on there to take a firm position. That's why I avoid a lot of topics like this. And overall, my position is support for law enforcement. But this, this chief literally did a horrific job. And I just want to make sure that the world knows that I got to pull up where it's from. I, uh, I'm going to try to convince your people to leave as fast as possible or your right. city council to find a new person to run that agency because that display of behavior is is you're just a disgrace. Well, dude, and if you just if you look at just look at the business side of it, right, take out that we're cops and just just take out that we're 
uh, a service provider and we're running a business. And and then you take the generational thing. So that this generation of cops, they are not loyal to any business, any agency, anything like that, because they've seen their parents and grandparents get fucked over by industries and professions where they have invested their entire life. And then all of a sudden, at the end of a career, the company or whatever just says, ah, uh, thank you for the past 30 or 40 years, but fuck off. And so they've watched this happen. And so generationally, you know, we have a generation that's not going to put up with that and not show loyalty to these companies because they know they're not going to get it back. So for us, at a time where we are struggling the most to recruit and retain people, you're going to show them that and say, yeah, we, we want to show you right up front. Like we have zero fucking loyalty to you. It's wild. And dude, there's a certainly a conversation to be had and it could be bigger than the one that I'm prepared to have at the moment. And that's in regards to, I don't want to say corporate, but I want to say private industry versus public industry. Right. Where you, on both sides of the coin, as an employee or an employer, it's a different set of rules. It's a different ball game working in private industry. Right. And, you know, where I don't have to really answer to anybody. But also, like, if I don't behave appropriately, and I mean that in a sense of like giving the support of the people here that they need, making money, making good decisions. I won't have a private industry. I will be homeless. Right. Right. When you have a constant cash flow and it doesn't matter how many times you screw up, the money's still coming in. There's a problem because we don't need the best person to be running the place because essentially it could never fail. It, from a money standpoint, however, that a guy like that would come into private industry and literally he would run street cop training to the ground in like three months. It would be I've actually had people who come in here and have worked here that right. were so bad at at what at like making common sense and judgment calls that right. I've had to yank things away from them because they were driving things into the ground so fast, intending to do something, but there's a certain skill level that you have to have that you can learn when you're yeah. running an organization. So yeah, absolutely, dude. And there's a I bunch of guys, nuances. Yeah, and like for like for employers uh, versus employees. Like also, what's nice is I'm have the ability to make a quick decision and say this person's not going to be a good appropriate fit here. Where I know that there's a rub on the other side where it's like, hey, it's hard to get rid of people once we have a bad apple. Yeah, like there's yeah. so many things protecting them in public service. Right. And there, and there is and there isn't. But I think in public service, I think it's because we approach it the wrong way, dude. Instead of trying to instead. Of, so if we have somebody who is not functioning correctly, instead of trying to set them up for success, which will glaringly show the obvious failures, we try to uh, use the system to, OK, we got to we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to we got to check all these boxes. And that's kind of the methodology we take. Let, let's set them. OK, they're fucking up but let's set them up for success. Let's pull them in and say, here's all the things you're doing wrong, how you're doing them wrong. We're going to help you to do them right. And when they still fail, that is completely on them. And we've shown that like, we're not out to get anybody. We're not trying to screw you over. We are trying to make you fit and we're giving you the tools to do it. And when you don't, dude, we haven't, we've been in office going on seven years now and uh, we haven't had what we call a merit hearing, meaning where we've terminated somebody and they've appealed it 
to a, a higher or not a hiring board, but a, uh, you know, a board. Like a review board. Yeah, a review board that hears the case and then decides were we in the right or were they in the right. We haven't had one of those hearings because of our approach, because by the time we get to a point where an employee could or would request a hearing, it's the lawyers on both sides are like, well, yeah, it's it's pretty clear cut. Like we don't need a board to to make this decision. Um, and we even work with the employee to give them a fair out. Like you're you're not a fit, so you got to go. Let's just see how that looks. I think that's conducive to the conversation I had yesterday with somebody in a, a previous podcast episode. I talked about a gentleman who called me and essentially was very emotionally charged and wanted advice on how to deal with, quote unquote, a handful of problematic police officers. And I just said, I have a hard time believing that that many cops are problematic uh, right. in, in such a small agency. I just don't. Right. So <laughs> let's 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 not even go there yet, but let's talk about like what your approach is going to be. And so I said to him, there are people who don't make it here, but I ensure by the time I say it's time to go that we've done everything we can to set them up for success and invest time, energy, and effort into them. Yeah, yeah. And then just some people aren't going to, they're just not going to cut the mustard here, just the way it's going to go. And unfortunately, one of the most profound things that people need to know about running a business and one of the biggest mistakes business people typically make, especially new, uh, probably a thousand percent of the time, new founders is they let their emotions and feelings mm-hmm. of being a great human being get in the way for of essentially what is required to have a successful business. And that doesn't, yeah. it should be very clear, folks. Like that's said with a lot of compassion. And the people that I have working here at this company will tell you, and people interact with them and say, you, you have the best people in the world. That's right. I do because I do the very best I can for them. And I try to create that environment here. But unfortunately, when somebody peacocks or pretends that they are skilled in a certain way or possess the skills to perform a certain job here and cannot meet that qualification, I can't sit here and continue to dump money into them hoping for a miracle. I can't fix like they're just the wrong puzzle piece. Doesn't mean that they're not that they're useless in general. They're just not a good fit here. They can go find a better fit. And I just can't, I don't create humans. I don't go to the human machine and, get, and create them. I have to sort through them, find them. Well, dude, and and again, uh, it, it, I, it's funny because at the beginning of this week, had a class where we were having this discussion of, and, and what it boils down to is doing difficult things. And, and it's doing difficult things, whether you're in a leadership position or not, right? It's doing difficult things, having difficult conversations, because I talked about as a young deputy, that I had a guy that I worked with. And um, I felt great about being a deputy, they they gave me a fucking car, a gun, they paid me to go like do cop shit. And I was loving life. So every day I would get my gear ready. And uh, we checked 10-8 from our, our driveway because we have take home. So I would get all my stuff ready, get out in my car and boom, I was loving life. And then I would run into this guy as we would uh, get ready for the shift. And he was a, everything sucks, fuck this, fuck that. And finally I pull him aside and I'm like, bro, like we're, we're bros, but we're going to have to kind of break up because uh, you fucking bring me down. Like I'm loving life. And every time I see you, I hate life and I, I have a bad attitude after we leave and uh, we stopped talking for fucking years. He left the profession 
And uh, we stopped talking. You know, I, well, we still haven't talked in years. And so uh, I brought up that example. And then I told them, you know, so that's line level stuff. And then as you get into supervision, same thing. We have that human factor where we don't want to confront issues because it's hard to have those conversations. It's hard to sit down. And I think we feel like, well, I know I suck in areas. So who am I to tell somebody else that they suck in areas? But I think uh, that's what we have to override and say, like, look, I'm not the fucking expert, but I'm outside looking in on you. And here's what I see. And here's what I see you need to fix to be successful. I think these are the things holding you back. And people aren't willing to have those conversations or get into them because they think it's going to go bad. But the thing is this, this is the the biggest thing I've learned when having those conversations, if you start the conversation correctly, and it has to be a place of love that you start with, and I'm not talking about love or hugging or any of that stuff. I'm talking about a true love in your heart for fellow human beings and hoping for their success. If you start from that place, when you address this with somebody else, 95% of the time, and that's just a random statistic, the the conversation is going to go positively rather than negatively because they understand that you care about them and and what you're about to tell them is from that place. I feel like, well, first of all, it's not uncomfortable to have to have hard conversations. It's the worst. Yeah. And the avoidance of hard conversations is essentially why we have divorce. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that because you got married and you guys couldn't communicate. That's That's all the... That's all the after effects. I'm talking about that moment before you got married. And people are probably like, fuck, that's me. I, I, I guarantee a lot of people are saying, fuck, that's me. Yeah. When you knew that, yeah, it'd be more difficult to move on and, and break up and have that conversation. I know this isn't right. But right now, it's just comfortable. I know her. He knows me. Whatever it is. You know, we have our routine. I know we're not in love. <laughs> well, and to your point, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, you know, uh, my wife and I are coming up on our 30th year of marriage uh, Friday. And uh, it has not been like all fucking unicorns and rainbows, right? Uh, mostly because I there's times where looking back, I was a raging asshole. And thank God she was an angel to put up with it most of the time. But the point being this that when we were at a point in our marriage where we were about to divorce and I, I had always loved my wife, but we had reached a point where we were not communicating well. And the communication part was essentially making us roommates. And so when we sat down to divide all of our stuff up is, is when I realized like, this is not what I want, man, you know? And so I kind of said like, how did we get here? like what are we doing because like i still like you (laughs) and i still love you and she kind of said the same thing we're like well fuck do we want to do we want to give this another shot and the answer was yes and so uh we did a little bit of counseling together to start and we figured out very quickly it was communication we we had stopped openly communicating about uh stuff and and that was causing the issues and once we started openly communicating again uh, we fix a lot of that stuff because it's, it's and it's all give and take, right? So when you're having those those conversations, uh, you have to be willing to give, and you have to be the other person has to be willing to to give as well, and and, and it's all back and forth. To bring it full circle, that applies to the uh, the industry as well, right? So when we're talking about like from my level, when we're talking about employees that we have to let go, uh, it sucks because you know that there's a life behind that person. 
Um, you know that it's going to have an effect on their life, their family. Um, but it's one of those things where, where you look at it and you say, look, this is just not a good fit. You're not a good fit for us. We're not a good fit for you. And that's like the sheriff and I, one of the things we do with uh, new hires for any uniform position for our detention officers and our deputies is we bring them in for a final interview with the two of us. Um, and that's one of the statements we make. This is just, this is an informal, we want you to meet us. We want to meet you. We want to just kind of make this final little thing where we make sure that we both fit each other. And, you know, you understand our expectations and we understand kind of what you're in this for. Um, and because uh, we, we want them to know. And then we also talk about our imperfections like, hey, uh, we don't get everything right. And so don't don't think this is all, again, unicorns and rainbows. Uh, we get some stuff wrong. Uh, there's going to be some stuff that you don't like. Uh, but we're hoping that the good far outweighs the bad and we have a good relationship with this. You know, it's funny. I find out about these expectations. I think that police departments should really advertise what they're about in their hiring thing. Like it should say like, care only about tickets. If you try to stop crime, we will intervene. <laughs> um, you know, internal affair, heavy handed. Because here's the deal. Why mismatch people in the beginning on some mystery of what it's like to work here. And then what happens is you got administration who has an employee, good or bad, that is maybe not writing enough tickets because they want to go out and catch criminals. So you got you got administration that wants 10 tickets a day. You got a guy who wants to lock up three people a day. He's a street cop follower. Yep. Then you might have a guy just the opposite. You got administration that wants criminal apprehension and interdiction. And you got a guy going out and writing tickets all day. They don't want to see it. If I was a chief, I just wouldn't want to see it. That's just me. I don't, you know, that's just me. I mean, I'm glad you're doing something. I just don't want to see people getting hammered down with tickets nonstop. Now, number three, you might have a guy who's a hard charger and they, these, these interviews are like, yeah, you know, we're a great agency, da, da, da. Now you're taking a hard charger, bring him to a retirement home. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you just tell him, hey, man, like, this isn't the place for a guy like you. Like, you're going to waste your time. We're going to spend we're going to end up having to start writing you up in internals, getting you fired, ruining your career, or vice versa. I'm going to quit. I'm going to leave you guys shorthanded. I hate this place. You're going to, I'm going to be disgruntled. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. So why in the beginning not have this conversation? Like, what do you want out of law enforcement? Well, well dude, dude, yeah. I'm going to say that that's one of the reasons we're so present on social media, because we understand with our newer generations that that is where they get a lot of their information. And that's why we're so transparent. We want you to see what we're about. Like, this is what we do. This is what our people do. This is what goes on at our agency. And then, you know, follow up with that. Go talk to them and, you know, interact with them. Uh, because don't, don't listen to me at the top telling you it's great. Go talk to the people. And our best recruiters are the people that work for us. And one of the most confirming things for me at this level is when I talk to somebody from an outside agency, unprompted, that tell me, your people love it there. Dude, that is a fucking win for me every day. If if my people are happy and they love working at the agency, solid win because that is what is going to attract more good cops. I obviously have ties to that area and you guys have one of the most fantastic reputations. And I think it's interesting when people leave and take pay cuts to come work with you guys. We do too, man. It it is it's awesome. I love it. Um, and in the beginning, it was weird when that first started happening. We're like, what, seriously, dude, like, what did you do? Or what are you running from that you're coming here with a, a pay cut? And uh, Significant pay cuts, too, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when you get down to the brass tacks, 
a lot of them are uh, that the two most common answers are, I want to do cop work and I want to know you have my back. That's it. That's what it boils down to. I don't know if Mark can display that more publicly than anybody else in the world that he's going to support his men and women. And then obviously you're right. You're right next to him. You know, so that's a big thing for people, especially we talked out. So we talked about to start this chief in Florida taking a neutral position, not showing support to his people. Is there anybody who doesn't like Mark? Uh, Yes. Yes, there are. Uh, I'm not talking about the liberals. I'm not talking about those. Okay. Then no. I'm talking about like, (laughs) is there anybody at the agency who really doesn't like Mark Lamb? Um, That's hard, dude. Because I think, I think there are people who don't like the persona of Mark Lamb, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, He's too flashy. He's too, yeah. yeah. And I know you get it because you get the same type of haters, right? Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going on every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. But yeah, so outside of that, no, because here's the thing. He's, he's genuine, dude. So like when people say his persona, I'm like, that's not like, I, I don't understand that because there is no persona. Like he's the same dude, uh, whether he's in public behind closed doors, he's just a genuine human being. And I think that's why people, um, have a hard time disliking him. Even, even liberals dude. there's, uh, and I've watched this happen where he has had conversations with people who absolutely hate his stance, but love him. So, you know, that's a win. He is one of the most charismatic people I've ever met in my life. The guy is a, yeah. A, like, I don't, dude, I don't know. He probably top three most likable people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I, like I no would. bullshit. I, I dude so we're we're at a conference right now with other sheriffs and uh we went out to a, a barbecue yesterday with uh 12 of the 15 sheriffs of our state and uh one of the main topics of discussion of frustrations of the other sheriffs is their own constituents asking them if they know mark lamb <laughs> so the so best. these sheriffs of their county and people from their county are coming up like sheriff whoever uh, do you know Mark Lamb? Yeah, do you, you, know, <laughs> do you, do you talk to him? And he's like, oh, I'm the sheriff. Like, <laughs> he's not the sheriff of this county. And they're like, oh, I know, but I love that guy. And it's so funny to watch, man. Dude, it's so, that is comical. And, you know, one of my most, and I, I don't have many times of Dennis and Mark being together, but my favorite time is the first time that I met you when those six or seven guys were standing over there <laughs> yes at the uh at the at the glock booth at the shot show and just i've said this story before but it's so wonderful and i just from one friend to another of me and mark it was just one of the best moments because i said yes. to mark hey uh, i'm gonna step aside there american sheriff let your fucking people come over and take a picture right and they walk right past mark and said hey den can we get a picture with you <laughs> <laughs> and mark, i was like you well, you guys know mark lamb they're like who we just want a picture with you. And I was like, oh, shit, That's Mark. awesome, dude. Yeah, so dude, it was awesome. the best. Was so, here, so here's good. here's the funny thing. Um, if if you if you follow our socials, you'll know Frank from Fridays with Frank, right? Yeah. And uh, Frank has gained in popularity and has his own little following and stuff. And uh, we we joke with the sheriff that, yeah, sheriff, he's kind of more popular than you. because the uh, So Mark will go to events in the county where people are like, oh, my God, hey, Sheriff Lamb, how you doing? Hey, do you know Frank? And so... It's happening to him too with Frank, where uh, people are following Frank and and want to know Frank and like what he does, and so they're asking the American sheriff, like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you're Mark Lamb, but where's Frank? Like, where's he at? He retired, <laughs> right? No, no, no. That was a April Fool's joke. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we got, got hate me. mail. We got hate mail over that one, dude. People are like, how dare you let him retire? So we're like, that was April Fool's. That was, that was not a thing. He's still here. <laughs> wow. That's a good joke. I mean, I wasn't paying much attention, but you got me. Yep, yep. We do one every year, dude. It's like it really, I did one one year. I was like, hey, guys, it's been real. Uh, I am unfortunately disengaging from law enforcement training. People lost their minds. Yeah. And yeah. we're sitting here laughing. <laughs> lost their shit. Yeah, I know. It's it's great. Dude, it's so funny that, uh, um, I, I and I think it's the whole, uh, you know, just first like three to five seconds of engagement that we've been trained to through social media that they'll they'll see a post and they'll just see the beginning like that one specifically they just watch the beginning he's retiring what and we're like no like if you watch it all the way to the end like there's a disclaimer at the end where we all just like hey the sheriff's like we're joking he's not retiring april fools blah 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 gotcha um so just watch it all the way through and you'll know uh but i think that's that's part of it right people just listen to the very beginning and don't go all the way to the end of the story that's funny dude <laughs> dude it's always awesome talking to you man because i i just feel like I, I just feel like i'm talking to one of the dudes and and uh it's like i explained to you before man it's hard for me um because with the people you work with at your agency and and i get it because i'm the same way with with structure and and uh, the paramilitary organization you don't get to sit down and just bullshit with people because they they act differently towards you they treat you differently and again i get it but it's nice just to sit down with other cops and especially street cops because i tell my my son all the time i'm like i'm not really a cop anymore i just get to hang out with them <laughs> uh, so uh it's cool just to you know sit down with cops bullshit and uh, kind of give my perspective on things after 30 years of getting it wrong in a lot of different places and getting a few things right. And, and I always appreciate your perspective, dude. And I, I want to tell you, I truly appreciate what you're doing for the profession. Had I had somebody like you in the beginning of my profession, I'd have been a much better cop a lot quicker. That was probably one of the single most motivations for me to do this was myself at, at 20 years old. Yeah. You know, and and I hear that a lot. I thank you. I appreciate you acknowledging that. And, you know, I'm obviously held very accountable when I when I make a little bit of a boo-boo. So I try to be very, very careful, but I certainly am not afraid to, you know, do the work that's got to get done. Right. And I don't really fear the repercussions of making a mistake. And I want to emphasize that to a lot of people. And dude, I hope you come to class next month. You're gonna be there. I should be, dude. I uh I am like Mark. I'm very uh I don't want to say non-committal, but I'll commit and then all of a sudden work things override that, especially when you have a sheriff who is running for U.S. Senate. Um, sometimes my priorities get shifted on an hourly basis, but my plan is to definitely be there. I, it, and anytime we do training, any we bring somebody in, I'm always, uh, not always, I always try to be there for the first opening piece at least because I want to emphasize to our staff that are there that we brought this here for you because we believe in the program. In my, in my mind, I really think it's a profound moment because I spend the first 15, 20 minutes of class trying to just change perspective right? and to see police work in a different light. And people get very frustrated with the things that I say publicly about like how I feel about tickets. I had a guy the other day, another one sends me a message and like, doesn't know it's me, but it says like, oh, you're saying this, this is the asshole saying that he fucking thinks tickets are a joke. And I wrote back to him and I said, I believe if you have the capability to do more, you should. 
And I can explain my position on this very simply. If you think that going out and writing five to seven tickets a day equates in the same universe as rescuing a kid who was just enticed off of the internet, who's 14 with a 40-year-old man going to get raped somewhere. And that's actually a likelihood of the work that we do. And we can teach you, we can show you the proof or find a guy who's a backseat passenger in a car um, who's wanted for an attempted homicide or a homicide from seven years earlier. And you think those two things feel the same. What I can say to you is to get to that level is so minimalistic. Just nobody's shown you how to do that. It's such a simple shift in how you see things and how you behave. If you want, you can go write tickets. That's fine. It doesn't change my opinion on it, but every 15 minutes you make a traffic stop is 15 minutes away from prioritizing what I consider to be all these other things that we have to worry about versus somebody 11 or 14 over. Listen, dude, I'm certainly not somebody who doesn't understand the consequences of somebody, you know, engaging in egregious violations, right? right? You're doing 59 and a 25 and it's a school zone. You deserve a ticket. I'm with it. I think you carve out the 15 minutes there. No question about it. But to be sitting in a speed trap somewhere with a radar gun or a laser tag gun and getting people for 11 over, nine over, four over, seven over, to me, I think you could be doing more with your life. And I think once people get into class, it dawns on them of what I meant at that time. I'm not backpedaling anything I said. I'm merely trying to explain it. Right. And guys will be like, yeah, traffic stops lead to the most arrests. And I'm like, guys, my whole fucking class is about traffic stops. Like, that's all I did my whole career with stop yeah. cars. I'm saying there's a difference between traffic stops and writing tickets. And then everybody's got their, I've had so many guys and girls come forward and wanted to lock horns about this writing ticket thing. And dude, it always comes down to, I invited this guy in the podcast. I'm like, come and have a conversation with me. I said, but you'll probably be like everybody else. You'll dismiss this request, not reply and leave. We did the same thing. I had a guy reached out to me. I said, send me your cell phone number. He's a Connecticut State Trooper. I said this a long time ago. There's a sign I put up that says, you guys keep writing tickets. We'll keep, kept, we'll keep stopping crime and catching criminals. <laughs> so he reached out. I got his cell phone number and I talked to him. And he's like, and it, what it came down to the end, he, it wasn't him who right. essentially had a problem with it. He's like, well, you know, my agency, I go, listen, dude, your agency is breathing down your neck and forcing you to do these things. And they're not employing you with the power to go out and actually stop crime. Complete compassion. I'm talking about the guy or girl who has the option to go out and be proactive. Right. Let me show you how to use your time better. And you're going to be so much more thankful of who you are when you nab three kids that are being trafficked. Yep. Or you're just going to feel so much better about that than all these, these speeding tickets. I just know you are. <laughs> but when you challenge somebody on the 19 years of how they, what they felt in their mind was important in law enforcement, and the truth is the truth. Like, don't get behind things that are just opinions. This is, the, this is a, a matter of fact. Right. Matter of fact, people always equate this, oh, not everything's about drugs. Nobody said they were. We're talking about police work with the intention of stopping and apprehending criminals. And on bikes, on foot, on, in businesses, in malls, before, before mass shootings, at school. I would actually even argue that I appreciate an SRO, and I hate to, I'll say this publicly, 25 times more than I appreciate a traffic division guy writing tickets all day. I just do. That's just me. You don't have to. I know you're in a different position. I'm saying me. I I like the idea of a guy in a school, especially if he wants to be there, interacting with kids, but also providing that protection. Well, and I'm with it. I would say that I appreciate. I I equally appreciate from my level. I really do equally appreciate 
each one of our areas because I know they all serve a specific purpose, right? I understand. Uh, but I would agree with you that I appreciate more taking off the worst of the worst and uh, creating an environment where there's less victims is by far priority over everything else. I mean, me and Kenny got pulled over in Indiana recently because somebody's on a on a seatbelt grant, and he had his, you know, Kenny's one of our our interdiction mastermind guys. He's like the yeah. top guy. If you follow, yeah, so he had his seatbelt behind him, right? Like, because like I don't know, <laughs> yeah. he's a he's a weird guy, right? Right, right. I've and I'm not same. saying he's hypocritical. If he stops somebody for a seatbelt right. violation because he's not writing the ticket, and you know, we spent ten minutes on the side of the road over America's top ten cops. Right. So like, who do you think passed us while you were fucking around with the, the best cops in the country? Like right. how many people were committing an actual crime while you're out there employing police resources to write $40 seatbelt tickets? Right. Right. You know, like, like you got the guy who could have been caught right before he went and knocked over a 7-Eleven three miles down the road. But instead, you're worried about the cop from two towns over who didn't have a seatbelt on him uh, properly. You right. know, and that's that's the theory, man. And it just comes down to it's how the American police officer is trained in what they see. You mm -hmm. Nobody goes to an academy where they teach you how to catch bad guys. And right. I don't understand why. Yeah. Because there's only so many people that are talented enough to go out and do that. And typically those guys and girls aren't recruited to go be instruct instructors in academy. And I, I love when they are because you'll hear recruits say, who are these cops now? Like, I had that class as a recruit yeah. and it just changed how I saw everything. Right, right. And that's, Everybody, again, that's why... I think what you're doing is so important with with street cop stuff because uh it's it's allowing for that to happen where there's all those deficiencies in the industry and and i'll tell oh, you even dude. the social media stuff that you're doing um i appreciate because it's good reminders even the case law stuff right you'll you guys will throw up case law or you'll throw up questions like oh hey if this scenario happens what do you think is right this or this and i'll i'll watch those and i'll get into the comments and I'll be like, man, these are these are great points. And so then there's times where I mean, like, holy shit, I didn't even think about that angle or that point or whatever. So it's it's fantastic stuff because here's the thing: if we are thinking and having discussions in and about this profession and the work that we do in the case law that's applicable, we're gonna only be better, man. And you're gonna be better interdictors. And that's and and we are crime interdictors, right? It's not drug interdiction or it, it's all it's interdicting crime and criminals what we're supposed um, to be doing and you have to be a master of your craft and to do that you have to have these discussions and you have to know uh what you're talking about you know because you're gonna have to on the side of the road make split second decisions that have the proper backing to go with the decision you're making i'll leave with this i think about sean barnett he's our medical tactical instructor whatever it's called tactical medical we have so many pro we have over 70 different programs now. And I think about the training that I've received as far as like first aid and, and which was basically nothing. I got right. literally no, no training. We were certified as first responders, but it was all BS. And then the annual in-service training of CPR, it's just BS, just to check a box. How can we treat something like that as BS when people's lives are literally on the line? Right. Like, the thought and idea that, I mean, there was just a, I think it was an Arizona state trooper who was shot in the leg. We did a video on it mm -hmm. and had to hobble back to his car to get his tourniquet. Right. You have agencies that tell their men and women, they don't like the way the tourniquet looks on their, on their uniform. They're not allowed to wear it. 
dude. Yeah. We had a guy shot in the leg uh, about a year and a half ago. Same thing. Took a femoral hit and wow. uh, immediately applied his own tourniquet and uh, couldn't get it tight enough. So the bleeding was still going on. And another guy showed up with his tourniquet. Uh, so they double tourniqueted it. And uh, he was still having issues because it was such a high wound. Um, but that was that's a perfect example of you, you don't have time to go get the shit you need. You got to have it with you. <laughs> I mean, you got to have the training that yeah. you need at a time like that. Right. And it's just wild to me. And I want every cop listening to this to imagine themselves being shot on the side of the road. Do you have enough training for self-care? Right. And the thought that like one of the best things when Sean did his first class, he's only a part-time reserve SWAT guy, but he did, he flew 75 combat missions as a paramedic in, in support of special forces in Afghanistan. Yep. So he's got a lot of experience. He's a, he's a paramedic instructor. Uh, and he's about the nicest human being you'll ever meet in your life. But when he comes to class, you know, he'll have 50 people in his class. And he's like, all right, everybody, everybody got the tourniquet with them. And guys, you know, maybe half the class is uniform. Like, where's your tourniquet at? And, you know, they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's here on this side. I'm like gun holster on the drop holster. He's like, cool. You've been shot in the left arm. So you've been shot in the right arm. Get your tourniquet. Don't move right. your right hand. Right. And he's like, and this is the point, folks. If nobody ever told you that you need to have it center mass, this is why. Because if you lose this arm, which happens a lot, you're never going to get to your tourniquet. Right. Center mass, folks. And, and, you know, like people argue it. I don't have room in my belt. You got to figure it out. I just yeah. don't understand how people are not imagining themselves bleeding out on the side of the road. What could you say to those people? I, would, I just like anybody else, like who is 73 and has misbehaved with food and, and health their entire life. What do you say at 73? I guarantee you all those people are like, fuck. I wish I didn't eat like that. I wish I'd exercise more. I wish I didn't misbehave and just be so lazy. And yeah. now I'm cheating myself out of 17. You're going to cheat yourself out of the rest of your life because you don't want to spend the day learning how to preserve your life. It's fucking well, dude, wild. Dude, talk to, you know, uh, uh, I, I know we're finishing up here, but uh, a good final thought for me is this. They've proven time and time again, they've done studies, they've done documentaries, they've talked to all these people that are on their deathbeds. Number one thing, number one thing is regret. So you should always operate in your life so that you don't, yeah, you're always going to have some regrets, right? But that you're not sitting there regretting the life you lived or the decisions you made. People have regrets on decision. I think people have less regret on indecision. <clears throat> I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree right? with that. But like, I, I make but decisions I mean, all day long. But being regretful for not only indecision, uh, but not making good choices, right? So, so to your point, not not eating correctly, and and now they're regretting that they have health issues when they knew at the time, well, I, I know this is not good for me, but it feels good, you know, or it tastes good or whatever. Um, and, you know, like for me, dude, I'm, I'm 51, and it sucks to get up every morning and go work out. But I know that I have to do that, um, A, for my mental health and B for longevity, you know, dude, I preach this stuff nonstop and I don't have this training company because I just need to make money. We have something coming out, Street Cup University, people can look for it. It's going to be popping soon. And I think people need to understand when we ask the price that we ask, there's a reason why we ask that price is so we can create more and fix more. It is not going to be about me getting a G6 jet or 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 a new another one. jaguar yeah like yeah. <laughs> not me brother like i put a, i've put a lot of work in to get the things that i have I have a little bit more than i used to and i work six seven days a week typically i'm dialing it back just a hair these days because i'm a father and spending a lot of time with my children 
but I'm still putting a lot of emotional and thought into making this world a better place. And there's a fun conversation that, oh, there's a memorable conversation that me and Kenny had one time. And he said, bro, this is tough being on the road like this. I said, I know. He goes, I had to do this. And then I had to get into the, you know, it's like, I'm exhausted, bro. It's like very hard to do this. And I said, I know because people don't realize how hard it is. I go, I'm, I'm aware, Ken, but one, it's not about you. And two, God does reward you. These guys are willing to pay the fee to go to your class. If you're willing to blow your weekend, miss family parties, be there, get stuck, be stuck in snowstorms, have to stay in hotels, miss your gym days, miss your diets, all these things, they'll trade off with you because the value exchange is not only fair, but it's a benefit to them. So in turn, that's the reward. And if you don't like the deal of that reward, you don't have to do it, but that's how the world works. So, you know, you will, God will repay you monetarily, but, and these folks are willing to pay as they should be because you're not deceiving them. You're delivering something that they need. Right. And they right. have to and understand what you're going through on your side of it to get that product to them. And that's one of the things I think uh, uh, that I've learned over time is that, uh, um, as you teach, or you know, if you if you teach, you instruct, you speak, you consult, um, that what you are charging people really becomes irrelevant because you you have to look at it in a sense of yes, you're paying X amount of dollars, and you're not paying that for me just to show up. You're paying for my expertise, my experiences, my blood, sweat, and tears that I've went through, all the stuff I'm going to relay to you to make your life easier and, and more productive or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and so it, that was a, a mind shift I had to make because I think a lot of times I undersold myself um, thinking, Oh, I don't want to, you know, charge this much or that much. Um, and when you talk to better entrepreneurs than I was, uh, they'll tell you like the dude, you are, you know, you're selling yourself short and uh, people will pay for this because they are looking for that insight they are looking for that expertise um and i you know for you guys that's that's exactly what you provide i've, I've looked at your instructors i've watched your program that's why we're having you out because we believe in you and and uh we're not going to sell our people short so obviously um and i think when when you and i talked it shot um it really didn't matter what the price was i just needed to work out the logistics because we'll make the the price stuff work because it's important for our people to have the material i'm comfortable charging what i charge for anything that i do because I believe that you're getting way more out of it than I am, yep. even though the exchange is for information and for money. And, you know, I'm sure I will get some pushback on what we're asking for Street Cop University, but I'm telling you, I have been just for weeks making sure that when you see this thing, you're going to go, holy shit, this guy cares more about us. Even though it may look at, you may look at this price and go, well, it's, it's a little, you know, it's something, but wow, like this is, this is like, this guy clearly cares about us more than he cares about the money. Uh, but guys, just so we're clear, I have to make money. It's a business. I don't have a choice. I don't have an option. I do a lot of work. I pay a lot of emotional tax. I am up here. I am doing the, I'm doing all these things. And in some sense, we deserve it. These, every instructor here, you see them for the six to eight hours they teach a class. You don't see the lifetime of work they've done or the right. thousands of hours they have into tailoring the program that you get to experience for six to eight hours and get to take all that information. You're just buying cheat sheets. But yep. the crazy thing for us is those cheat sheets will save your life and will progress your career yeah. 
dramatically. I mean, and like, not only that, dude. Work. Not only that, but but you are in what you're doing. You're creating a legacy of that because those cops become better cops who teach other cops to become better cops, and it creates a legacy uh, in our profession. That's why I told you, you're, you're what you're doing for the profession is is just fantastic, dude. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It's refreshing and, to hear when I when I get, it seems to be like sometimes all we hear is like the uh, the negative dude, stuff. I feel your pain there because you know I, I'm at the top of our organization and and uh, I had this discussion with the sheriff this morning. A certain individual approached me and he's a line level guy and said, "Hey, man, can I talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Look, I'm not a I'm not a suck ass or anything." He says, "But I want to tell you, like, you guys are doing a fantastic job. I appreciate this and this and this." And he goes, "I I, I don't know if you hear that often or not." And I said, "No, you know what." I I super appreciate you having the gumption to come up and tell me that, dude, because it means a lot to me because we don't hear it. We hear what sucks and what we need to fix all the time. Um, and it really it, it makes you feel good and it reaffirms what you're doing um, at the top of an organization. When you hear somebody tell you, like, dude, it's it's good. And uh, yeah, for you guys, same thing, man. You, Dennis, you're doing good shit for this this whole profession, bro. So keep pushing forward. And, and, uh, I, you know, we love you in Arizona, bro. That's why we're bringing you out. <laughs> Thanks. Not everybody loves me in Arizona. We discussed that sorry. too. It's all right. I'm not worried about it, dude. And, <laughs> no. I, and I'll tell you off air about that experience a little bit, but right on. anyway, thanks. Thanks for being here again, Matt. Yeah, for sure, brother. Hey guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.